Hey everybody, I'm ex-TV producer Jennifer Moore, and a few months ago I quit my job at CNN to focus on YouTube full-time. And since then, I've actually been inundated with questions from, from friends, from strangers on how I do what I do. How do you start doing YouTube? How do you make money doing this? And how can you make this a career? So I thought I would bring someone that's very well-equipped to talk about this subject, Sean Cannell. Sean is a YouTube expert. He's a speaker. He's built a following of over 700,000 subscribers throughout his channels, and he's built a seven-figure business. Yes, you heard that right, seven-figure business off of starting YouTube several years ago. So Sean, thank you so much for joining me. Jennifer, super pumped to be on the show and absolutely inspired by the topic that you are covering on this channel and how you're helping people. There's definitely a digital revolution taking place. And so I'm pumped for this episode. Me, me too. So I wanted to share. So when I started YouTube a few years ago, I didn't, I didn't know anything. So I assumed with my TV background, I was going to go into it, be successful right away. And, you know, I, I thought it would be a lot easier than it was. Now, I'm not saying YouTube is impossible or it's super difficult, but there are some things that are very different than working in a traditional media industry versus YouTube. So we're going to dive into all that during this episode. And I also wanted to share a lot of Sean's information. Sean also has a book coming out very, very soon about YouTube secrets. So if you are like many of many others out there that are like, you know, I want to do YouTube, but I don't know how to even get started. This book is really going to cover a lot of those topics. You can also follow Sean and his channels. He's got video influencers, which focuses on helping people to grow their online uh, following. He also has another channel called Think Media, which is how I initially found you was you do a lot of tech and gear reviews about YouTube equipment. You also have another channel called Sean Thinks, and you've done a lot of product reviews. So Sean, how long have you been doing YouTube for? So actually, I've been doing YouTube since 2007. I've been doing online video, or I should say video, since around 2003. And I actually got started uh, volunteering in my local church. So I've never been to film school. I don't have any traditional education, but I just was in the trenches hands-on. And originally in 2003, my youth pastor was like, hey, can you start making weekly video announcements um, that will play every Wednesday night at youth group? So that began to teach me video and Jennifer, you and the rest of the audience, those videos are terrible. You know, I always like to say your first videos are your worst videos because I was just trying to figure out how to create content, but I was getting my education. And then eventually the um, lead pastor at that church was like, hey, can you do these on Sundays as well? That was 2004. So now I personally was trying to come up with the ideas, shooting videos, editing. I did 104 videos a year now because one was on Wednesday and one was on Sunday. And again, I was cutting my teeth. Many like people in your audience that they know like you got to go through the grind, right? You got to learn the steps and, and get hands on. That's what I was doing. And the first YouTube channel I managed was 2007 for my church, just two years after YouTube had started, which again, I didn't know titles, thumbnails. And I love what you mentioned. You know, um, I've noticed you really can't do the new thing in the old way. I think some reason why you mentioned YouTube is hard when you first got started is again, we kind of, we typically take an old mindset usually into a new arena. And while there's a lot of principles and best practices we can pull in, we always need to adapt them to the new way. And so I had kind of an early advantage as YouTube was so brand new and I was making all these mistakes in 2007, 
by 2009, I started a business called Clear Vision Media, and I started to help small businesses, authors, creatives, with their YouTube channel, with content creation. And so anyways, fast forward to today, um, there's the 10,000 hour rule. I like to, uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote about in his book, that if you do something for 10,000 hours, you kind of hit this mastery point. It's like a tipping point of the greatest tennis players or the greatest musicians. They've practiced their craft. Well, I think I'm approaching around 30,000 hours of on camera or editing or lighting or setup and tear down or digital strategy and social media and actually uploading and putting all this stuff out. There's a lot to learn in the space, but I've been doing it for a while, made a ton of mistakes. And now my passion is to help other people really go further faster with video so they can learn the new rules of success with online video. And I have to thank you because I really honestly feel like if I had not found you and had not uh, taken your course, Video Ranking Academy, I, I really don't think I would have been able to take this step uh, just because the things that you taught me in that class were so valuable. You also offer a lot of information for free on your channels. So if someone doesn't necessarily have the cash for the class, a lot of your videos are, are just so helpful. So I really wanted to take a moment to, to really express my gratitude because I really don't think I would be here if not for you. Well, I appreciate that. Happy to help. And thank you so much for the feedback. And, and I have to say, so when I decided to, to leave my job, my channel had started to make a little, enough money where it was contributing to the household. We also cut some expenses, but I really wanted to have the opportunity to, to really grow. And since I've had this time, it's been incredible. I've been able to focus on a lot of my projects and also make plans for the future. But I've been getting a lot of interesting feedback. So I, I have a lot of media uh, friends, a lot of people I've worked with, and, and it's a very close-knit business. There are folks that seem very happy for me, but don't really understand how the community works. And then there's also a, a demographic that, that kind of thinks I'm crazy. They don't think this is legitimate. And, and I think they kind of liken you being a YouTuber to like, you know, some sort of scam. But, you know, I know from experience and you know from experience, being a YouTuber is a legitimate career option in 2018. It totally is. And you know, I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing that the whole industry is being flipped upside down and it's being disrupted. Really, besides YouTube, it was before that, it was the internet. And, and if we could sum it up, it's essentially that middlemen are being removed. Now, in a lot of cases, they're still there. Um, but this whole old paradigm of the only way if you wanted to have your own show or you wanted to have some kind of distribution to an audience, say on traditional television, was by having a production company, you know, a studio, and usually having a lot of red tape, big organizations, really holding the keys between the eyeballs on the other side and between you and you and your content that you might share with them. Well, that has been completely disrupted. Now the middleman are, are gone. And what we're seeing is direct to consumer. So it is funny where, as sometimes YouTubers could look at as, you know, not uh, legitimate because sometimes they're not even professional, right? They're just, you're just using webcams or just using their smartphone and sometimes just creating viral, um, you know, or funny content that doesn't seem to add a ton of value. But that's just one side of the coin. There's such a, there's tons of news content on YouTube where people are live streaming and just taking, they're, they're realizing, I actually don't need a studio. I don't need a company to work with. Anybody that has an internet connection and a webcam or a smartphone can has the, at least the chance of beginning to share their perspective, share their point of view, 
you know, you could start your own weather show. If you had the technology, you literally could do whatever you want. And there's people on the other side that at least we have the potential to reach them. No middleman. Um, Essentially what we've built is now we're in Vegas. We call it a media education company. What we educate people uh, on is online video and we have six team members and just kind of like, really, if someone's like, Hey, what exactly do you do? I'd say we're kind of a CNET. We're like CNET or we're like, which is a tech channel that, or we're like the verge. These are bigger companies that are actually kind of a hybrid. They're sort of traditional models because they usually have a lot of overhead. They're trying to use ad spend to pay big teams. They have big office spaces, but what's stunning is that when you look at our numbers, again, I'm just a guy. We started a media company out of the, bed, my, the bedroom of my house an hour north of Seattle, um, where we just started sharing our voice online, reviewing tech, and now we'll get something like two million views a month on Think Media, something like uh, 2,500 to 5,000 views every 60 minutes in real-time traffic. That's people on video, like watching our content in real time. And I, I, no agency put us on, no studio uh, gave us permission, um, didn't work with anybody that said, okay, you know, nobody's giving approval to our content. Literally, the middlemen are gone and we have this direct-to-consumer um, opportunity. The gatekeepers are gone. And so now there's this real meritocracy that exists online for anybody that wants to share their voice, build their influence. You're doing it, not just with this channel, but your other channel. And it's, it's crazy. In the past, you might have needed to go on HGTV, you know, some home with your sewing channel, with some home content, maybe a food, you know, food network if you're doing a cooking show. But now anybody can start a show and go direct to consumer. It's very stunning. And it's a completely real thing. Five years ago, people kind of doubted this. You know, 2018, 2019, it's like, no, there's unlimited case studies and use cases of people that are building their own reality because of these new channels and tools, and they really don't need anybody else's permission or authority to do that. That's exactly it. And working in traditional TV, I can tell you, you don't get to do it. You definitely do not get to do whatever you want. You cover what your managers tell you. You have to get approved on all your stories. I couldn't just create whatever I wanted to. And, you know, you have to do a lot of stuff that you don't want to do, like covering dumpster fires or stories that, you know, like the, the whole saying, it bleeds, it leads. You're covering things that you might not even personally be interested in, but you kind of have to. And it's so, it's so freeing to be able to have my own channel. I don't have to get anyone's approval to do anything. I can do whatever I want, again, within YouTube guidelines. But, you know, I think that's why, that's the one area that I do feel like my journalism background helps me is knowing where that line is because I've, I've had to follow like FCC guidelines and also journalistic standards. You know, I think that's the one area that, that does give me an advantage is that I know about copyright law. I know about fair use. And I know that creating my own original content is, is really the best, but that's one thing that I couldn't do working for even CNN. I just, you know, was covering things that I had to and not that I particularly wanted to. I couldn't do sewing stories you know, and now I've, I have a couple channels that I can do whatever I want. And that's something that, that you just don't get working for a media outlet. And I've had a few people reach out on LinkedIn, even people I don't know saying, you know, I'm in college and I'm thinking about trying to get into broadcast journalism. And, and I have to be honest, while I, while I'm very grateful for the path I chose, and I think I made the best choices at the time, if I was 
in college now, I would make completely different decisions because things are not the same. Things are definitely going in a much different direction and it's not towards traditional media, it's towards new media. I think that's where it's at. And whenever I tell, talk to people, I'm like, you know what? Make sure to have your own personal brand and also don't be afraid to apply for jobs at BuzzFeed. Look to see if Philip DeFranco is hiring because while those companies might not have the household recognition quite yet, those companies are where all the eyeballs are. And when you look at the numbers, numbers don't lie. Um, Philip DeFranco's show gets more views than CNN primetime does. And that's one of the reasons why I was so interested in, in investing in this space and, and being willing to take the risk. I, I agree. And I think you really pu pushed on two pieces of advice there. I think the one piece of advice is on the one hand, if you have self-awareness or you just want to take a shot, anybody could start what Phil DeFranco has started, their own variation of that. It is stunning that one individual, th same thing, started with the webcam, started giving his two cents on current events and news years ago, now has his own, if you will, smaller agency, media studio, as uh, I'm not sure how big his team is, but probably to the tune of 10 to 20 people. Um, but it's really just one individual who, who realized that the gatekeepers were gone, that there was no middlemen, and that he could build uh, a tribe and speak and add value to an audience. Um, but the other side of things, I love what you said, is that potentially considering a pivot and shift career-wise into working with some of these new media channels, you mentioned BuzzFeed or Phil DeFranco or other people, if only to get education maybe before jumping out on your own or potentially to just be where the puck is going, right? The famous quote from Wayne Gretzky, you don't want to skate to where the puck is, you want to skate to where it's going. And there's so much disruption happening. You're totally right. Attention is shifting. It's, it's where we're about to launch a book and we've helped others launch books. We study lots of books. And in the past, people would think an appearance on Good Morning America would potentially move book sales. But besides our own research, I've got friends that are New York Times bestselling authors that have had the chance to go on Good Morning America and also potentially collaborate with a modern day influencer, either a podcaster or a YouTuber. And after that experience doing both, my friend Shaleen, she would say, I would choose the YouTuber and podcaster like a hundred times out of a hundred over going on a traditional media outlet if it meant moving book sales. That's where the puck is shifting, right? I heard somebody say, I'd much rather go on the Joe Rogan podcast than on Good oh Morning gosh. America. Yeah, it was Gary Vaynerchuk. I was actually listening to that yesterday. I was like, you know what? That's And a lot of people watch the Joe Rogan podcast. And when you think about it, no one ever saw Joe Rogan being a podcaster. He was the guy from news radio and the guy from Fear Factor. But that's, someone, that's, an, that's an example of someone taking their existing fame and really leveraging it to, to, be some, to create something completely different. Absolutely. And I'm also from the uh, kind of faith world and even know a lot about like the Christian television um, kind of arena. And I've sort of crossed over into some of that, those uh, worlds. And again, same things. It's Nielsen versus Comscore, actually. And I was talking to somebody recently, whereas even Nielsen ratings are now more outdated than ever. You know, they're, the block of time they're measuring is, is super archaic. And there are, though, by the way, traditional is not going away. Traditional is just shifting. And so there's still direct TV still relevant and a lot of these digital and new media, Netflix, Hulu, there's a lot of overlap. But I was talking to somebody and they were saying Comscore now could be measuring down to the second of where viewership is, where attention is, and also aggregate um, online and 
kind of offline, if you will, or traditional and digital um, with their with their data. And yeah, that's the thing. Numbers are just shifting. It's where attention is. It's what people are paying attention to. And so I think of the exact same thing. What's stunning is um, in that world where in the past, there's sometimes be like impressions. You have the chance to meet 50,000 people, Nielsen might tell you. But there's potential, there's a theoretical 8,000 people that are watching this spot on traditional television. The crazy thing about digital is it doesn't lie. And you can look at directly at those numbers and see, we had a channel even in that same space called Think International and we could see real numbers and we were getting even to the tune of thousands of views that was so real. We could look at real analytics as opposed to theoretical from some of these channels that would want to sell you overinflated media buys or overinflated, you know, ad, ad spots based on numbers that, again, very theoretical. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's sort of where my headspace. Uh, it, it's so interesting to where people who are building really real influence online are number one, already building something very concrete, but they're also ahead of the curve. Yeah. Once people start waking up to realize, okay, this theoretical stuff, you know, it's not, who cares about the 100,000 impressions? What did they actually do that the theoretical chance of like someone scanning and seeing something as opposed to getting people to take action, which kind of circles back to say, launching a book. Again, if you're launching a book, you want book sales. And so people went on Good Morning America, checked in and had zero sales, but they might've went on one niche podcaster and had a hundred sales. Even if those numbers weren't as big, that speaks to also not just viewer theoretical eyeballs or whatever. It also speaks to depth, actual connection. I think there's a mistrust of big brand and corporate, and there's a greater trust in these days to Joe Rogan, to a Phil DeFranco, because we're talking to a person, not necessarily this um, you know, seemingly monster corporation or something like that. Exactly. Now, a lot of my colleagues, ex-colleagues, I know a lot of people who are looking to exit the business or maybe they've already have, um, I really do feel like those skills are transferable into the online video space. Where do you see opportunities for people with like a background like mine or someone who was a news photographer or like a TV reporter? Um, Great question. Yeah, I would say number one, I would say that the advantage there is for most of your colleagues, you probably, you already have great communication skills, which the funny thing about like online video is really it's just a medium. Online video itself is not a means to an end. It's the bridge between you and the end consumer that is visual, audible, um, and you can just get across any message you want, whether you're updating people on the news, teaching people about sewing, helping people find cameras. So you're already great at communication, crafting stories, crafting headlines. Those are huge skills for things like YouTube because you want things to be provocative the same way as you think about trying to hook viewers' attention as you do a treatment on a journalist piece is you want to hook viewers' attention no matter what kind of content you put on YouTube. So all of those skills are very, very transferable. I would say hard skills and soft skills, hard skills like learning even just camera operation or switching and things like that. And then soft skills like even just EQ and spotting trends and all those types of things. On the flip side, though, I would say that there's also things that people would probably want to unlearn. One person to study is Will Smith, who has recently kind of gone all in on digital. He's vlogging on YouTube and things like that. But what's interesting is other celebrities, people who've already had influence and credibility and are already known, have actually tried to transfer to digital unsuccessfully. 
And I, I think the reason why is because, again, they bring the old ways into the new platform. So I think you want to bring a lot of skills along with you, but you also want to unlearn and, and now learn the skills needed to thrive, say, on YouTube in particular. The same would be true for Facebook Watch. I think that's a big opportunity for people. Facebook really wants to compete with YouTube, as does Amazon. Everyone's in this land grab for attention, and as does Netflix and Hulu. Everybody wants to be the media outlet. Now, the Disney subscription channel, people are trying to get the attention um, of the end consumer. And so I think learning the new skills, the new, you know, if good or bad, Phil DeFranco breaks a lot of rules compared for, you know, traditional media and even maybe journalistic best practices. But on the same side, I think everybody listening should study Phil DeFranco. Yeah. Because After, he's got the eyeballs. No matter what you say about him, he's got the attention. And, and that's something that a lot of people haven't been able to figure out. 100%. And also study his show format. Study his style. You might critique that he's sitting in kind of a, maybe a seemingly more immature type of a, an environment compared to a traditional newsroom, but that's creating a bridge. Mm -hmm. Same thing. People are paying attention to Joe Rogan and he doesn't look fancy in his, in his studio the way it's built out. But then also, what's the content format? It, what story? It, Phil DeFranco, everything about his show is intentional. The order of, of what stories he chooses, where he does serious and uh, less serious content, his call to action to start a conversation to get the audience engaging in the comments. So for anybody wanting to uh, pivot into this space and potentially build something in this space, I would want people to go on a journey of saying, what are the new rules of success? What's different about this? What's the same? Can I bring over? But what do I need to unlearn so that I can actually thrive on this channel? And circling back to Will Smith, other celebrities have tried to transition to vlogs, but it's working because he's learned the new rules. He's being himself. He's letting go of uh, where there's a block for a lot of people is there's over polish in traditional media. Movies are polished. Traditional news is very polished. I think that it doesn't mean you can't be professional, but if you're overly polished, that's not something that's winning online or even really offline lately. The you know new generation is more skeptical. We want more authenticity. We want more, we want more relatability. Without having to sacrifice, sacrifice being professional, you can still um, kind of step into this new arena, but it takes new nuances of skills, branding, and positioning. Well, let's, let's talk about YouTube specific skills. You obviously are a wealth of information about YouTube, and I've learned so much from you. Can you share with people who are maybe just learning about YouTube for the first time, what are some skills they need to translate into YouTube? What do they need to know? I think um, one of the first things you'd want to uh, think about on YouTube is always get in mind, if you're going to start on YouTube, you want to answer two questions. Who is your target audience? And then what is your value proposition to that audience? So, and you want to have a lot of clarity on who your target audience is. So what age are they? Where are they watching from? What are they interested in? If there are Let's talk about your channel. You have this, um, the X media producer. So you're speaking to people interested in this space. You're speaking to people that um, have had a past in, in, the, in the media. You probably know the age demographics. You probably don't have a lot of 13 year old people that are wanting to watch this channel. Things like that that you know, but that's important because you wanna know who you're speaking to. And I think that a mistake and a mental block probably of traditional media is having a shotgun approach in media. 
a very wide approach to try to reach the masses of this large crowd viewing television. The difference is to really win online, you want a much more narrow laser-like approach. Who is the specific group of people? And where people are winning is the world is so tribal now and it's much more fragmented than ever before. So I think there's a lot of opportunity, again, if we were to stay in news, to realize that obviously there's, in our normal news cha channels, we know that there's usually bias, even though they would all say there's not bias, whether that's a certain political party, a certain background or demographic, even Phil DeFranco, while he attracts outside of an initial uh, group, he is very adherent to, he uses language that would alienate some uh, audiences. He uses, um, his personality would alienate some audiences, but he's getting millions of views per daily ep episode. So clearly it's working of, of him speaking to a kind of like you would maybe say a younger or even kind of a millennial that's sort of tech thinking that's kind and of I a can gamer tell his, his audience hates the mainstream media i can tell from the comments which they don't trust they don't trust outlets like cnn which is great because here's he knows his lane he knows who he's speaking to there's seven billion people on the planet earth and there's about three to four billion of them online and so even with the million to 2 million that watch per day when he uploads a video, he's still only targeting a very small group of similar-minded people. I would say for those listening, if you wanna win on YouTube, who is the very specific audience that you wanna reach? If you wanna win on YouTube, you wanna start small to get big. You don't wanna think about trying to market your messaging and try and reach everybody. If you try and reach everybody, you end up reaching nobody. And then on top of that, what is your value proposition to them, how are you going to consistently deliver on a promise that they would care about? So as a Phil DeFranco watcher myself, he knows that five days a week, he's putting out these shows that, as you've seen, kind of aggregate what's happening in the news. But even his segment of this Today and Awesome, where he'll mention the latest trailers that are out, it's kind of like his own micro e-news segment, in a way, right in the middle of his serious news show, these segments, though, are things where I'm thinking, maybe there's a new trailer I want to see. Maybe there's a new Netflix show. I trust him as, as his opinions, or at least I'm interested in recommendations he might give that I wouldn't hear about. He has crafted a show that then people can come back, and they expect it. I find myself repeating his phrases. You know, it's kind Gar of like yeah, a traditional- like I using the word garbage person, because he, I'm like, there's such a garbage, like he's created his own lingo. He's created his own lingo, his own lingo, uh, lingo, his own kind of framework for his show. So that's what I'd recommend for people. He knows who he's talking to, his target audience, and he has a predictable value, that predictable value proposition where he will even articulate that too. You know, on Fridays, he goes, our typical show on Monday through Friday, we cover the main news stories. On Friday, we catch up on ones that were less popular or requested. So he's just dialed in his own framework. I think that's the starting point for those that would want to venture into YouTube is to really think about what audience they want to reach. Maybe it's completely conservative. That's a good starting point. Layer down a little bit deeper than that. What kind of stories would you maybe cover if we're talking about news? Who's the audience you want to reach? And then how can you show up consistently with a show, videos that would add value to that audience? That's the starting point for sure. Exactly. Now, I do want to talk about some of the logistics for YouTube. When I first started out, I didn't know what the algorithm was. And I also didn't realize that no matter how much time you spend working on the video itself, the other stuff matters. The way you upload matters. You taught me all about doing tags. And I think the one message I would get across to beginners is that besides just the content, 
you need to go really hardcore on your thumbnail, your title, that description, and those tags. Can you talk about some of the importance of these aspects? Because Absolutely. I know, like, obviously you've figured out what works. Absolutely. And, and some of these things are for even traditional media stations that have websites. They, have, they know the importance of, you know, headlines that click-through rate, you know, trying to at times be sensational or overly sensational int intentionally because they need page views. They want clicks. A lot of the traditional media companies have, you know, banner advertising on their websites. But actually, all those best practices are very important. One of the things we learned from Phil DeFranco too, that's interesting, is he actually always is trying to find the story that is the most, if you will, sensational, tantalizing, um, and kind of even crossover, you know? It's kind of like gossip and say the Kardashians or say, you know, whatever's the, the most news, uh, not even newsworthy, but you know, sometimes it's bottom of the barrel advertising, but even other news stations know that. It's like the thing that's gonna get the most people in and then typically, then he might talk about tax reform a little bit later in the show, but he really understands culture. And that's when it comes to the title, the thumbnail, you want to think about, he also understands that with any one YouTube video, this is a big distinction about YouTube, you can't really communicate more than one thing as far as to hook people in. Yeah. If you try to say, here's the three things we're covering in this one video, it's hard to put three things in one title. You can do it. Two's better. One's even better. It's hard to put three different things in a thumbnail. The thumbnail is not that big. So understanding kind of the whole process of hooking in a viewer by getting their attention with, again, knowing about things being a little sensational. While you could still be true to journalistic principle and still true to what people might want to hear about, but also understanding that what do we know? You know, we know things like sex sells. We know things like, uh, you know, especially in politics right now, a lot of news around Donald Trump or whatever's happening, those things sell, right? Those get people's attention. But then you also can build a bridge to other things. And uh, so studying that out when it comes to thumbnails, titles. And then the other big fact to know is that um, YouTube's a search engine. And where a lot of opportunity for discoverability is, is by being fast. Your audience definitely knows the importance of yeah. speed when it comes to jumping on stories, but YouTube is this huge opportunity for um, positioning your content to ride the waves of where internet traffic is going. Tools like Google Trends, tools like um, looking at websites with just how much, what are the, the, the top stories that are surfacing and if you can execute quick on things like that. And, and again, I'm speaking a lot to the news side of things, but even I'm in tech, so as new cameras come out or as hot new announcements are released about certain technology things, I realize if I jump on those first, that gives me a huge opportunity of discoverability, not just adding value by being quick with the story to people who already know me, but also reaching new people while riding the waves of uh, the, the buzz of that trend. And so again, if a thumbnail is speaking to what people are talking about, what's hot right now, what's hot that day, what's happening in your niche, a title that ties into that, and then using tags to um, position and as people are going to search for something, uh, really getting discovered while people are inquiring about that topic. Yeah, and I, the one thing I would like to touch on too is, is that doing YouTube is not like a get rich quick thing. It's something like you, you've said before, it's much like a, it's like a marathon, it's not a sprint. 
And I think when people are starting out in YouTube, you don't realize how long it will take to build a successful channel. Most of the channels that are out there that are successful, lots of them didn't have viral videos. They didn't have like that one video that popped and they got a million subscribers. It's more a process of you may get a few thousand subscribers per week and just you keep building on that. Would you say that's true? I totally agree. And there's a phrase on my wall over here that says slow and steady wins, talking about the analogy of the tortoise and the hare. And I do think there's an allure of, um, of, of viral videos. And I feel like if you just are committed to the process and committed to best practices, your chance of going viral is, is likely if you do it long enough. If you just are always doing best practices and always trying to spot trends, but always trying to be faithful to consistent, valuable content, you never want to sell out for short-term clickbait wins because that can hurt your long-term reputation and brand. So I would never encourage people to make short-term decisions, but you can make smart decisions in your content and whatnot. And, um, and potentially you want to build your reputation over time, but you're totally right. It's kind of true about anything like great things take time. It took CNN a long time to build yeah. CNN. I mean, think about that, you know, any of these things, what's stunning is that, um, if, if anybody listening, if we can catch this vision, and catch a long-term perspective, the chance. Again, you're, you're talking to a guy who comes from a small town who just has no formal media training, who has no connections in Hollywood uh, or LA, who, who just grew up with nobody in the media that was acting or that were on-camera personalities in my family whatsoever, and have built this media company where even now I'm coming to you from a home office in Las Vegas. We're changing another bedroom in our house to be another podcasting video recording studio. We're expanding the team, but like from scratch, we are a media company. Do you feel like that almost helped you coming from a from a different sort of background? You maybe it gave you, gave you a unique perspective, and also you haven't been affected by, you know, what's the norm? I guess I don't know. Maybe that's been good for you. I think so, absolutely. And I think part of it is it sort of ties into my personality which is maybe being a little bit more scrappy. I think I take a lot of, you know, healthy pride in the fact that, wow, what a world we live in. You know, 20 years ago, this wasn't even possible. 20 years ago, I would have to be getting a salary somewhere if I wanted to be in this space. I love video. I love being a part of video, uh, architecting video, the digital strategy, planning. I love doing this, but to be able to do this on, on our own and completely blaze your own path, that is absolutely incredible. And so, um, but yeah, back to those best practices. I think thumbnails, titles, description, mastering the YouTube basics. And that's also why we, that's what we help people do. There's so much to learn, just like you went through many years of school and there was a lot to learn. And just like anybody as they work for their company, know there's lots to learn and you learn things as you go. This is kind of a new world. You don't learn it overnight. That's one reason why it takes a while. I think that it could be a much shorter climb if you went in with a full, full clarity on a map, a blueprint, and et cetera. But typically, we don't have that because we're also pioneering. However, you know, that's, all, that's what Video Ranking Academy is about. That's what our course is about. I like to say some of our trainings, they can't, they never produce overnight success. Things always take time. However, what took me 10 years, I believe that our training could shave 75% off of people's learning curve but that would still be two and a half years of, of maybe starting and getting to a place where things are generating and moving. That's still a pretty big window of time. I would never want people to think that you get to step out, do this, and then boom, it happens. They're, I, just like any small business, right? What do they say small business? 
It takes 16 to 24 months to even be profitable or longer. It takes, a lot of businesses take um, the first twos, they call them the terrible twos. You know, you start, you're bootstrapping, you get into the terrible twos, then things kind of balance out. It's not until year five in some businesses that there's a, li- a level of stability and that the founder can sort of take some time off because systems and team are installed. So even our business, we've grown very fast. Our revenue has grown very fast. We're about two years into it and it's still crazy and we're still pioneering. I think that spirit I'd really want to convey that, that people as they go into this, it is kind of the wild west. You sort of want to pull out that machete, if you will, and chop your way through the jungle. Um, my friend Michael Stelzner has the Social Media Examiner podcast, and he says helping you navigating the social media jungle because this is a new world. You know, you don't go to a university to get social media education. It can't keep up with no. uh, the speed it's, of it's how the industry is changing. changing. You can't, like something you learn in a textbook is going to be completely outdated. Well, I want to ask you, Sean, how long was it what, from the time you started YouTube until you were able to make it your, your quote unquote, like full-time job? That's a great question. And I think it can paint a reality of how other people could follow this. There's different paths. I, like I said, I started in 2007 hands-on, and this is the opportunity of maybe dabbling a little, helping somebody else. I was managing my church's channel, but I was learning. So I was learning in that process. It wasn't until 2009, 10 that I started a couple of my own channels, but I still had full-time job. I was a marketing director for an organization. So I was building it on the side and I would encourage people listening. You can build your dream job while you got a day job. And what was nice about that is I don't think sometimes people compartmentalize too much meaning they, they gather information, they watch videos, they listen to your show, they get ideas, they get dreams, but they don't execute on anything and they just stay in their current reality, hoping that they'll someday be a jump off point and then they can go all in. I found that that doesn't really exist, that you kind of got to build both and there's something about having time to build it. So here's what I mean. I started Think Media in 2010 and I just dabbled on it. I also didn't have a lot of clarity about my branding, my niche, my positioning, but I'm so glad I was uploading videos, experimenting. I was kind of wandering at first, but the vision got clearer over time. So 2015, Think Media was at about 16,000 subscribers. I'm so glad that I dabbled, because that's still a lot. Yeah. It's not these but big you, your YouTube channel numbers. But your grown so much more since then. But, and it, had I not had that first kind of few years, now mind you, if I put all my energy and focus into it sooner, it probably would have grown, I could have got there faster. But again, I was dabbling. It was kind of a side back burner project. But then October 2015, I was doing freelance work. So our income, 80 to 90% of our income was from three clients that I was doing social media for, a little bit of YouTube channel management, um, you know, some Facebook ads, just doing some digital marketing for people. And in one month, I had all three clients fire me one week, once a week wow. for three weeks in a row. And um, it's just my wife and I at the time, I would say we were solopreneurs. There's three seasons. There's the side hustle season. That's when you've got that full-time job, but you're building it on the side. There's the solopreneur season where now you're full-time, but you don't have help. And so you're like, you're still crazy because you're trying to juggle everything by yourself. And then there's the scale season, which we're in now, where not only are you full-time on on your own as an entrepreneur, but you're scaling with other people and with uh, leverage of tools and paid ads. So solopreneur season, we go all in, 16,000 subscribers. It's November 1st. All the clients fired us. 
We lost our income. We're freaking out, but we go all in. And so now I, I put 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week in for those two months. And between November 2015 and January 1st, 2016, went all in. And we do affiliate marketing in YouTube. It's one of the big ways originally we made income. And by that, that beginning of 2016, we had replaced that income. So wow. in two months, and we'd gotten from 16,000 to 20,000 subscribers, so not a ton of growth, but that was enough of a base from YouTube and affiliate marketing to go full-time. And I mean, real numbers, we had started generating about 5K a month on Amazon Associates program through reviewing cameras, helping people with lighting, helping people with tech for video creation. And then from there, we just started to scale. So again, at that time, about 60K a year, YouTube ads was another five to 10K. And you have such a, you have a relatively small channel too. So you don't need, like, I know you've talked about this before. You do not need a huge following to generate a real income. Especially if you kind of wrap a business model around it and you know how your monetization, your income will come. And then from there, it was all in and we could focus completely on building our influence online. And today we're at something like 460,000. So from Woo. January 1st, 2016, 20K to, you know, mid 28 or first quarter 2018. And things have grown by about 440,000 subscribers. That's, that's amazing. And that was an exponential tipping point, but yeah. we've also interviewed over a hundred video influencers, people who do this full time and in different niches and different backgrounds. And a lot of them, again, have had those years where it, you're not seeing a ton of results and a ton of growth. Half because of it takes a while to build momentum and also half because they're usually developmental. You're still honing your craft. You're still working on your stuff. So you haven't hit your magic moment yet, even in clarity of your own messaging, understanding of the tools. So that's why I encourage people, you just got to start. Yeah. Start. Because like you learn as you go and you can then add skills but then we hit that tipping point, if you will, and where things took off and it was sort of the synergy of everything, the timing, our skills, my skills, the ability to focus full time. And then it just, boom, has been growing since then. That's incredible. And, and again, you've talked about this. You can have a small channel and you could make a decent income on it. So you don't necessarily need a million subscribers or like a Jake Paul like following if you're doing what you, if you're doing some of the things that you did. I totally agree. And, and I also think, yeah, there's a huge middle of the market that is not talked about. So most people talk about it, Jake Paul, Logan Paul, even a Phil DeFranco. And at the numbers they're making, as far as views, as far as income, it's, it's, it's multiple seven figures. Like they're, they're in like the stratosphere. But what people think is it's not an all or nothing on YouTube thing. And it's not about just the haves and the have nots. The long tail in the middle there. It's, it's, there's so many people who could make a six figure income, but forget that there's a lot of people who could make 80 K 70 K or even say an extra 10 K a year, and that's more than anything 25 K a year. Yeah. Um, by doing maybe just something around a hobby and where you fall in love with it, you build your influence, you share your voice with the world, you enjoy what you're doing, but you also supplement your supplement your income with an extra 30k a year that reality is yeah. so much more real than people realize it really is no i want to talk about money um you lay this out in some of your videos and i'll link your channels below obviously but what are some of the ways that people actually make money from youtube outside the ads so uh, a couple of ways so the first way i did it i mentioned affiliate marketing um but to be a little more specific I started to just do random videos. One of the first ones was called gift ideas for him. So if someone goes to the search bar, 
it's on my channel, just that's just my name. And again, I didn't have clarity of like a brand or a focused channel, but I had an understanding that YouTube is a search engine. So if you go to the YouTube search bar and type in gift ideas for him, that video shows up in like the top, maybe fourth spot, we call that ranking. And it has almost a million views. So what happens is somebody that's shopping for a husband, a father, a brother, a boyfriend, goes to YouTube, types in something, that video shows up on the other side, so it keeps getting views. Now, Jennifer, that video is about five, six years old, and people watch it every day. In fact, people watch it every hour. People are really so looking I, for gift ideas, apparently. Yeah, totally, right? And so you made the video once, but yet it keeps working for you on autopilot. And I talk about headphones and a couple of book recommendations and a couple other gift ideas for men in people's lives. Isn't your and dog it, in it too, I think? Yeah, my dog's dog in there in running it? around, jumping on and off the couch. And uh, in the description of the YouTube, and I let people know in the video, I just say, hey, if you want to check out any of the items I'm talking about, there's links in the description below. And if someone clicks on one of those links, goes over to Amazon and makes a purchase, I get a commission. That's called affiliate marketing. And what's cool about affiliate marketing would be, again, on your sewing channel, and I know you know this being a part of our, our program and whatnot, but if you talk about the top three budget sewing machines, yep. you can then give people an option to click on you know, any one of those and then you make a, a percentage of that sale. For YouTube ads, which is you said in addition to ads, a lot of times for every 1,000 views, you're only gonna make between one to $2. So if 1,000 people watch your video, which is a lot of people, you only make two bucks, that's not gonna pay the rent anytime soon. But if a thousand people of a target audience that's literally trying to decide what sewing machine they're going to buy, you, they stop on your video and they see your tips and you, you say, don't get this one because here's why. And they're like, whoa, Jennifer, to save me from making a horrible mistake, wasting my money, I'm going to follow her recommendation. They click that link. If the sewing machine is $100 even, you would make $4 off a of 4% commission and maybe the commission could be as high as 10%. Now you're gonna make $10, so think about that. You get one to $2 off a thousand views, but if a thousand people watch that video and 10 people bought a sewing machine at a $10 commission, you'd make $100 off those same amount of views. So that's 100X higher than that $1 you made from YouTube ads. But you could have both on. So now you have YouTube ads, now you also have affiliate marketing happening, but then you also could do things like brand deals, and I know you've already started to do this as well. So now when you have this focused sewing channel, and this is why we go all the way back to why you want to have a target audience and a target value proposition that's specific. When you can say, hey, people who want to learn sewing, watch me. Now companies that make thread and accessories and machines and even storage stuff, they want to work with influencers. The buzzword here is influencer marketing. It's growing like crazy and mainstream brands are realizing this is how you get your message out to the world is um, through these influencers, because this is where trust is going. People are following influencers to learn about sewing, gardening, how to balance your checkbook, dating and relationships, tech, everything you can think about. People reviewing The Walking Dead or the latest Game of Thrones episode, or people commentating on sports, influencers. And so now you can do brand deals. That's a third way of working with companies and companies paying you um, or giving you free stuff. And so that's another income stream and we talk about 10 we could talk about more if you want but uh that's a couple but yeah and i'll link to some of sean's videos about making money on youtube i know you you've talked about this extensively and it's really helped me and a lot of other people too but 
Um, you don't just make money on, and my CPM is actually pretty high for most channels. I think my CPM is like six to seven dollars. As is like, mine. Yeah, and yeah. I told someone that, and they're like, "Really? My, I'm only you're making more than me, and I've got like three times the subscribers." So it it also depends on what your content is. Like you and I both make pretty family friendly content, which I think makes a difference, and we do a lot of product based stuff. And also because it's specific. So I have friends who they're kind of like vloggers. So people watch their daily life, but it's just general. Mm-hmm. So that audience is good if it's large, yeah. but you don't really know where their mindset is. Not necessarily everyone in that audience would be interested in learning about cameras. But if someone comes to think media, they know that the whole audience is very targeted for learning about cameras that will drive your CPM up because advertisers know exactly what they're getting as opposed to just blasting their ads randomly, maybe or maybe not the viewer be interested. You're so, the sewing report couldn't be clearer. Yeah. It's, you're either into sewing or you're not, but that is an incredibly powerful positioning for you because advertisers can know they're getting in front of a very specific audience. And one other I'd mention to viewers um, and listeners to this is also crowdfunding because talking about the middlemen being gone, it's stunning that people who are building their influence, who are especially authentic, honest, you know, building a, a tribe, building their reputation, becoming the go-to source for some type of information. Again, Phil DeFranco has built a loyal audience because he's consistently himself. Yeah. You, you, know what, you know his messaging, you know where he stands, and people know what they're gonna get and who they're following. And because of the value he adds to a particular group of people, he started something called DeFranco Elite, where people that just want to say, look, I will support you at $5 a month the same way as I would subscribe to a newspaper, the same way as I would pay to subscribe maybe to um, a financial report. I will subscribe to somebody who adds consistent value to my life. That takes time to build because you always got to build your tribe first, your audience first. But for those listening, if they, they might think, well, I don't want to review products and do affiliate marketing. I don't want to be pushing anything at all. Well, if you're just sharing information or you're just sharing your voice or you're just sharing motivation, you can still build a tribe. And what's cool is if you think about it, there's a great article I suggest people look up on Google. It's called a thousand true fans and it's written by Kevin Kelly. And it's one of the most important articles kind of in this influencer space that we're talking about how people can take and build a business life uh, and income on their own terms. And it just breaks down the math to say, if you have a thousand true fans, Maybe more than a thousand subscribers, maybe more than a thousand people on your email list. Maybe you have 10,000 people subscribe to your channel. But if a thousand people love you, care about you, want to support what you're doing, let's say you created your, uh, you know, a custom t-shirt once a quarter and you had a thousand true fans. Well, if you sold out of the a thousand shirts you made at $20 a shirt, that'd be $20,000. If you release one shirt a quarter, that'd be $80,000 a year. If you, um, uh, put out and that's that's a thousand people that are willing to invest twenty dollars in you every three months in a shirt. Now put that into subscription model. If a thousand people are willing to subscribe to your content on a monthly basis at just five dollars, that would be five thousand dollars. Is that true? Yeah. And uh, that would be sixty grand a year at, at in a monthly continuity support basis. Individuals who only pay five, but only a thousand people. And I feel like. That helps us because we, yeah. we, it's like, that's not a million subscribers. It's not a hundred thousand people, but, uh, and then you can do brand deals on top of that. So if you had crowdfunding installed with support there, every once in a while when relevant, you're doing affiliate marketing, 
at times you're connecting with brands and sponsorships. You also do have YouTube ads going and your CPM's higher because you have a focused niche. I hope these kinds of con this conversations helping people be like, well, that's how the math works out. Yeah, it, it could be practical to generate 25, 50, 100K a year and even beyond that by doing these different um, income streams and stacking them together in a strategic way. Exactly. And, and that is something that I think, uh, you know, people have asked me questions like, you know, how do you make money? This is, this is how you make money. And again, you, you don't need a huge audience. You can have a small, very targeted audience. And that's what you, that's really what you did too, to start, you know, again, a lot of people, I think I've talked to a lot of people about how they found you and it was usually from some sort of product review you did. And then I was like, I went onto your channel. I was like, oh, he also talks about YouTubing. So I'm going to check him out for this. And before I knew it, I was a full blown fan. So clearly your, your method worked for me. And uh, so I want to switch over a little bit and talk about, I've written about this a little bit, um, is the YouTube community versus the traditional media industry. Um, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but I, from my perspective, I feel like a lot of my media industry peers do not understand the YouTube community. They may watch some YouTube videos, uh, but they're not creators themselves. They, again, you don't see a lot of, I think that's one reason people love Philip DeFranco is because he covers online news. He covers what's happening with Jake Paul and with, you know, PewDiePie or whoever else. He covers all this, this stuff. So from your perspective as a YouTuber, what kind of impression do you get about the traditional media industry? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think like there's different um, angles we could go at it. I think that, it, number one, you have already said it, but I think it's important to know that YouTube is a community and it's ever growing. Susan, the CEO, announced that YouTube has over 1.5 billion monthly logged in users watching over an hour of content a day, even on their mobile devices. So that's 1.5 billion users a month that are logged in to some kind of a Gmail account. And when they're logged in, that means they can subscribe to channels. That means they can comment on videos, they can like videos. That right there is a paradigm shift. That is, that is people who are saying, we're living in an ecosystem, YouTube, where this community allows you to say, I find an outlet, maybe a bootstrapped, you know, individual created brand or even a bigger brand. You could, you could subscribe to different people's channels, takes someone in traditional media. Here's a good example of someone who's kind of doing both is like Jimmy Kimmel. Late night, their execution on YouTube is really good. They've yeah. got their traditional late night execution, their, their shows, but then they also put segments on YouTube and those segments being humorous, sometimes being political, being all kinds of different things are very shareable. Um, and they, you also notice too, even in their execution, they're shooting YouTube native content. What I mean is after that clip where Jimmy Kimmel interviews somebody at the end, he'll go, Hey, YouTube, make sure you're subscribed. Oh, I love that. Or like, yeah, subscribe. If you know, subscribe, it's free. Even if like, he'll be like, subscribe, even if you don't like this video, it's free anyway. So just do it or something. So that's, that's the new thinking. That's like, that's the, that's speaking in the new world and tweaking your content so that it's appropriate to the platform. And so I think that, um, that is knowing there's a community that can subscribe, that's leaning in, that wants to share their opinion after every segment, Phil DeFranco says, but I'd love to know your opinion on that. Do you think this, or do you think that? Let me know in those comments below. It's interactive. It's a two-way conversation, not just a one-way conversation pushing out information. And, you know, I think that uh, it's shifting to where you, you even put Twitter in there. Twitter is a new thing in our culture where that's where 
we're not only hearing from so many different, that's where people announce their statement. That's the president is definitely using Twitter a lot to share opinions and points of view. And, and Twitter, it's, it's showing conversation. YouTube's definitely conversation and new media, digital is two way. It's not just that one way street as it pertains to that. And so, um, but let's keep talking about it. I'm not sure uh, what else. So uh, as, if I can... as, a news, as a news consumer, what would you like to see news outlets do more of? Like, how do, you, how do you feel like they can tap into more of the online audience that they're clearly not reaching because no one's watching TV? That reminded, that reminded me of a couple things. I think, again, for maybe more homework for people watching, even looking at, say, Snapchat on the Discovery feed, looking at um, meaning because news outlets, BuzzFeed are having a show there. They're communicating micro stories, looking at news stations, execution, even some traditional ones, Facebook micro stories. I think what you want to think between traditional and new is, again, getting into the shoes of the end consumer. Here's some interesting thoughts. My wife and I, uh, our nightly routine after a busy day, will kind of sit down and we don't turn on the television first or Netflix or anything else, we actually go to YouTube first via a smart TV, via the remote, and we pull up subscriptions, there's recommended videos, and we are picking content, whether it's the shows we wanna watch from that are entertaining, but also potentially news. Suggested videos are happening there, and so um, I don't know if what I'm saying is making sense, but that's, it's, that's different, that's yeah. the end user. A millennial generation that is using smart televisions more yeah, your, to your consume way of consuming content. News is different than an eighty-year-old's for sure. Now, do you? How do you get your news mostly? So I mostly get my news on mobile. Um, I mostly get my news from Twitter, from Phil DeFranco, actually, um, and and from YouTube. And YouTube has live streaming as breaking news. Um, it's it's a very obviously tragic and emotional event. Me being here in Las Vegas. Um, but we had the Las Vegas shooting that was so terrible at the country music con concert months ago. And as that was unfolding, the, the, um, I was actually watching news coverage of independent outlets, meaning like one man shows that were streaming on YouTube live while the, it was unfolding. I was on my mobile device and th those individuals were typically aggregating articles and they just had whatever their own, they were kind of their own bootstrapping outlets, but that's where I was finding those were, they were the quickest to cover the content. They go back to speed. They were jumping on, on those things, pulling different, uh, if they're, if they're good at it, cause you gotta be good, right? You gotta be good at like fast at pulling your content. You want to be not biased or you want to be, uh, you want to build your reputation and integrity. And I was just discovering these people in search, but I think that sort of speaks to, where this new school potentially is getting news. I was following Twitter hashtags. And as I was, I was clicking on those, that was micro content, native uploads on Twitter, different things that were happening. So that's a big shift is, is where is attention shifting? It's on mobile screens, smart TVs, as well as desktops or tablets. And how is the content being packaged? That's different. Um, one thing that I would say would be a big blinder or block for traditional versus new media is traditional made the rules of this is how long a segment is. Yeah. Shows are 30 minutes or they're 28 minutes and 30 seconds with how much ads there are, 26. This is, this is what it has to fit into. All those rules are broken now. Now it just, I would say that length is not even a predefined thing. Effectiveness is.
Yeah, for for um, we were always taught your typical news packages are a minute thirty, no longer. Typically, no longer than that, unless it was like a really big deal, and you know your live shot was like maybe a minute, and that's something that I think media outlets are making a mistake with is the YouTube content they put up is they basically take reporter packages and throw them up on YouTube. There's no context. They're not created specifically for YouTube and they're only a minute 30 long, which definitely does not really help them with the watch time. You know, maybe, maybe the reporter could have done a really good five minute piece. And that's something I've been telling my journalist friends about YouTube is like, I've had a few of them, they put up some YouTube content and it was literally like a minute long story. I'm like, you know what? Um, I would definitely make this, not that you have to stretch it out, but at the same time, you need to put a little more context into your stories. They don't have to be a minute long. And that's something that's very hard to break because we're so used to being told that, that your story can only be a buck 30. Exactly. Like this interview is going to be like an hour long. And that really gives us a lot more context and time to talk about things then if this was a new story, I would have caught a few 10-minute soundbites with you, and that's all we would hear from Sean Cannell. And, and I, I, I always want to remind people to also test and experiment, because that's the thing, is that you can let go of some of the old rules, test new formats. They also could work. A minute 30 package could potentially work great. But what we have the chance to what is the attention, the thinking, the mindset, what people are doing on their mobile device when they're on Twitter, and then how do we package our content, what we're sharing to be appropriate for that platform, to dress it up right there. What could we do over on Facebook? How could live streaming support what we're doing uh, versus pre-done videos? How can we get these videos done? Um, captions, for instance. I mean, this is obviously very known where to put something out traditional, it would required caption to be in compliance in the US, but there's also a stat that over 80% of the videos watched on Facebook, any video content there is actually watched with the sound off. It's also a power tip is that we, if you're captioning your content, you're offering more relevance to not just people who maybe want to read and watch, which half of users and consumers are doing because it just helps them consume it more. They hear and read at the same time or for everybody who's watching in a board meeting, watching uh, on a subway, they don't have their headphones and they can't turn the audio on. So, we're kind of just hitting the same theme, right, of, of um, continuing to set, set yourself out on a journey of pioneering, putting yourself into the position of a student, saying that, you know, lifelong leaders are lifelong learners and saying, there's a big revolution happening. How can I continue to learn to figure out what works and what doesn't work on digital? And that, that definitely letting go of dogma, letting go of uh, just old mindsets, and being willing to challenge everything and question everything and not with a predetermined bias too that might rule it out. I think that a lot of what we'll see is so many of the best practices from traditional are not actually invalidated. They're, they're some of the best things that are going to work on digital, but some aren't. It's just dogma about nothing. We don't want to be romantic about anything at all. We want to say, wow, there's so much disruption. Let's be experimenting, finding what works, and really learning to leverage new platforms in the best way possible, but understanding it's, it's a Wild West type of a thing. We need to be pioneers, media pioneers, if you will. And from your perspective, if, if, you, had to, if you were talking to a journalist who didn't, who didn't really understand the YouTube community, like what type of things would you tell them or recommend the first things that they should do to start to understand this world? 
Yes, I think that the first thing I would do is put yourself in the shoes of a viewer. So if you don't have a YouTube channel, create one. After you've created one, start to just go to the search bar and see what's out there. Just follow your curiosity, follow your muse, go poke around. We mentioned some homework, right? Watch Phil DeFranco. Click the subscribe button. Think about, you could always unsubscribe later, but go through the actual steps. It's actually funny in this whole conversation, one of the things that can move the needle for most people is just saturation, emergent, immersion. You need to get immersed in it. In fact, reading about it, reading the top 10 blogs, even watching this, listening to these things, you can only learn so much. It's not until you get in there and you go, oh, we have to be practitioners again. And we have to be willing to, again, that's to challenge those old mindsets, but to actually download the app, download the YouTube app, subscribe, like, leave a comment, start thinking in that, start watching other content, and then continuing to watch some of our channels, you know, think media, video influencers, to think through best practices. I did a coaching call with somebody earlier and they did mention that it took about six months before they started a great channel that's really starting to take off. They still put themselves into a six-month learning phase. I don't know if it needs to be that long. Maybe give yourself a month. But for six months, and they were journaling, brainstorming, getting data, getting best practices. But the immersion is key. That's the word. You want to immerse yourself in this world. Um, I think about VidCon. I mean, for some people, they might want to buy a ticket. There's a famous author of the and huge podcaster named Tim Ferriss, author of The 4-Hour Workweek, great book that I would highly recommend. And um, we ran into him though at VidCon, which is the YouTuber conference. It's knowing that this thing even exists. 30,000 people show up in Anaheim every year to go to a YouTube conference and to be around their favorite YouTubers. But Tim Ferriss was there, even though it also is kind of a younger skewed conference. Why? Immersion. He goes, and we met him. He's like, I want to be I just kind of want to know what's up. I want to sit in these sessions. I want to, you know, this is just one piece of content. Keep going deeper with your stuff. If you're not subscribed to the X Media Producer channel, you know, subscribe here. It takes a ton of immersion to kind of relearn and rewire our thinking and to see what's happening. Maybe register for a VidCon or a Playlist Live or a Vid Summit. These are all YouTube conferences. Total immersion and watching and then be thinking about how that could apply to what you do. I think it's in that process of, filling your mind, paying attention to culture, paying attention to trends, actually consuming the content that then you could start thinking, okay, what is my role in this? What could I start? What could I launch? How could I uh, engage in this? How could I potentially pull what I'm learning into what I'm already doing? How could I maybe try to be a 360 degree leader in my current organization and influence, do some of this? Or like you discovered, there's a lot of red tape in most organizations. How could I exit? How can I jump out and do something else and, and make smart moves based on what you learn from immersing yourself? And I, and I have to say even YouTube is such a, becoming such a major player. If you work as a journalist, you need to know who the major players are. Even if you're not a YouTuber yourself, you need to know who the top 50, you know, 50 to hundred YouTubers are because what they do is becoming more and more relevant every single day. Even like there's a, what was, what is he, six Ryan Toys Review? He makes like $12 million a year. If you don't, you need to know about people like that because again, the, the celebrities of, of your generation are not the celebrities of the new generation. The celebrities of all the kids are the people on YouTube. So those are the Scarlett Johansons. Those are like the, 
you know, Liam Neeson's and like the Tom Hanks. Like it's not your traditional Hollywood celebrities anymore. And if you're, if you're going to be able to cover this industry, you really need to know who, who's in it. I totally agree. And that speaks to immersion. And then I would encourage people as they dive in, you also probably be like, wow, this is weird. I don't yeah. understand that. It'll be like that for a while. I still don't understand it. It's so crazy. Like just what's happening. But the fact is it is happening. The viewership is now the new stat is over a billion hours of content is being watched a day on YouTube. Over a billion hours is being watched. That is, that's big impact. You know, where's attention going? That's something to pay attention to. And there is, uh, of course, a huge gaming community on YouTube is a large part of that. There is the younger Ryan's Toy Reviews you mentioned, or Jake Paul or PewDiePie, or things that people might say, well, that's, sure, that's kind of that viral video. That's what the, all the kids, all the teenagers are doing that. True, but also it's aging up. Yeah. And people are looking to YouTube for business advice, entrepreneurial advice, news done in a professional way, um, you know, education about everything under the sun, um, and, and even following influencers of all ages that, that people um, uh, in their 50s, 60s, and 70s have YouTube channels and have influence. And so some people, I, a great example, I just talked to somebody that was a real estate agent and they said, well, they, I, they knew what I did. And they said, you know, that's good for you. That ship has kind of sailed though. It's not relevant for me what? or the people I'm reaching. And wow. I was like, but then I was like, I would challenge that. I go, if they're not there again, if they're not there, like if you test, you put out some content you do and you do everything right, but you're, you're not reaching the 75 year old target audience that you have. I know I don't want people to be delusional. Like you have to test it. They might not be there yet or in certain ways, but I challenged her. I said, well, really consider that though, because um, when you look in your numbers, even in my audience on Think Media, um, most of my audience is between 25 and 45. Makes sense. They're kind of skewing around my age, but it's crazy when I look and I see 5% are over 60 that are watching Think Media of, of 2 million views a month. That's still a lot of humans watching content at different ages. So that's kind of going back to some of these themes. You want to challenge everything. You want to kind of question everything and, and doubt your assumptions. You know, you should tell that real estate agent the most popular video I've ever done was me talking about my house and the, the house buying process, literally. Number one video. I'm, and again, this is like the videos that you think are going to pop usually aren't the ones that actually do pop. It's usually, in my case, it's always some video where I'm just randomly talking about some su subject. And those are the ones that get the most views. My number one video is uh, almost 170,000 views. It's me literally talking about us buying a $47,000 house. And I titled it, you know, we bought and lived at a $47,000 house. And I've been getting tons of real estate questions. So your real estate person, they're they're definitely, and those, even those Jake Paul fans now in 20 years, they're going to be buying houses. So exactly. Even, even if YouTube is not the platform in 20 years, it's going to be some other form of this. It's not going, they're not going to be watching They're They're not going to be going back to watching their traditional TV. It's I'm so glad you said that. Know. I'm really glad you said that because that's the other thing. Maybe some people hesitate because they say, well, maybe I'm late to this party. And if, if something changes, if YouTube goes away and I start building now, then I'll have missed the boat in twice, you know, YouTube would change. But I would challenge that. 
you want to dive in and immerse in this space because even what you learn by just being a practitioner yeah. and doing it will position you to catch the next wave. But if you don't learn the skills, develop the thinking, you know, adopt the mindset and actually test it out as a, the things you could only learn. You could never learn from a podcast. You can never learn from a YouTube video or even from reading a book. The things you can only learn by actually being immersed and doing it and testing it and trying it are the insights that you can get to then potentially catch the next big thing or the next pivot. So now you're ready when culture shifts to actually capitalize it, maximize that and uh, leverage that opportunity for yourself when the timing's right because there is so much happening and it's hard to predict where things are going. It's completely, I don't know, I'm not Nostradamus, I can't say where it's all gonna play out, but I can say you wanna be in this space, you wanna, be, you wanna dive in and be positioning yourself now so that you don't get crushed and destroyed when things change and you're not ready for it. Exactly, and, and again, I, it's scary to me how many of my peers are, are, I don't know if they're in denial, but they just, they just have, not, have not done this. Um, a lot of them have not started a YouTube channel. And it's funny, um, some of the things that, that, are, that are like best practices in TV, uh, for instance, one of the things are jump cuts. You never use jump cuts in TV. And then you go to Philip DeFranco's channel, he's all about jump cuts. All these channels are using jump cuts and it's a very successful technique for them. So some things that we've always been taught not to do are the things that make these channels successful. Like even little things like that, but you can only know by, by doing. So even, you know, even if your channel doesn't get a million subscribers, I think it's still worth trying out, still worth doing. I agree. Well, Sean, thank you so much for doing this. And I also want to ask about your book. You have a book coming out soon. If not, by the time you watch this, it might already be out. But whenever it does come out, I will link it below. Can you tell us what to expect from this book? Yes, the book is called YouTube Secrets, and it's really written based, uh, Benji and I, uh, who's the co-founder of our project, Video Influencers, we've interviewed over 100 entrepreneurs and YouTubers that are doing big things with online video and YouTube, and learn their secrets, and learn their, so in the book, we have case studies, we have stories, and we have the best practices of this kind of new wave of people that are building their influence with online video. And so we go through um, part one, we go through the strategy. It's our seven part framework of the kind of timeless strategy because it's hard to write a book on, like we said, by the time it hits a textbook, um, it's outdated. So, but the first part of the book is timeless because the framework, the strategy, the thinking that you need for this space will um, outlast the nuances of a new app update or some kind of a feature change. So part one's about the strategy and then part two of the book is about tactics. So that will be some stuff that's a little less timeless, but the book is coming out in about two months and it'll be the, um, the actionable hacks, tricks, best practices that people are using to really grow, not just their influence, get subscribers and viewers, but also grow their income. And so um, that'll be available. Yeah, if people follow uh, video influencers on YouTube, if you just go to the search bar and type in video influencers, plural, you can find that channel. There'll be announcements there. And then we'll also, of course, be announcing it on Think Media. And uh, we're very excited about launching that book. And I think they'll help a lot of people because again, you want to develop a mindset It'll be kind of the framework of thinking. So then you can dive into this industry and execute with best practices on the actual tactics 
of uh, what it takes to build your influence with video. And you have a goal, right? That you want to help people make, make online video their full-time job. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, our team's goal right now is to help 10,000 people um, go full-time doing what they love with online video. And so um, that can look different. Some people already have being it that they use online video to grow their real estate business. Steve Panetta, who's a part of the VRA community, is crushing it. Doesn't need a million views because if he just sells a couple houses a month, he's making big income. Where there's others like you who've stepped out and gone uh, full-time uh, and and work that out with your family. You're doing sewing report. You're doing this channel, and then there's others who are doing it in the faith space, or they're doing they're helping it with network marketing or their traditional brick and mortar business. We think that video is relevant for every industry: nonprofit, for profit, individual, personal branding, and that when you use it strategically and in the right way, um, that you can leverage that into either again directly giving you a full-time income or being a marketing channel and a distribution channel that potentially promotes and distributes and reaches people for some other kind of business model that you may have. That's what we do. And between Think Media and Video Influencers, that's the mission of those channels is to give people the information, the content, the strategies, and the tactics to be able to reach that destination. Do you know how far along you are in that goal of 10,000? We have about 25 people, and so we're going to set up a – yeah, right. so, so we're just getting started, um, but that's actually significant, and what we're setting up is we're working on a website that just has like a form where people could share their story because as we mentioned, we, we really want it to be yeah. – we don't want that to be just general, pie in the sky. We're curious about the actual story, so we, we're working on a website where people could say like kind of – fill out kind of a form and share their story. This is what I did. This is how I did it. Again, your story and how you're in this position where you're in right now is, is different. What full-time even means is different yeah. for different people. So we're kind of honing down that definition. But what, what, what we love is when we hear people like yourself who I quit and now I do this. For some full-time, they already were full-time but they were able to increase the revenue by 40% once they started a YouTube channel. My friend Nick um, has a software company, software as a service, and they were already, he's already building the company, but once they installed YouTube into their overall marketing, they were able to drive revenue up 25%, which is to the tune of multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bottom line impact. So that's the, another way of looking at it, and we're just passionate about it. I, maybe you could feel my passion um, that, that video 100% can move the needle in different ways for everybody listening, especially when they learn how to leverage it the right way. Yeah, no, I feel nothing. And, and that's one difference I, I've noticed since leaving the media industry is how optimistic this space is compared to that one. You know, you've got people that are worried about their jobs that aren't making a lot of money. And, you know, you always hear about these, you know, uh, station buyouts, people getting laid off with lots of experience. And then I come over here and there's a lot of money being dumped in this space. It's very hopeful. Audiences are growing. And in fact, YouTube just had that announcement that they're really trying to push local businesses to advertise by offering them free, like they'll produce a commercial for your business for free if you buy $350 worth of ads. So they're really trying to get local businesses to advertise more on YouTube and offering them that free commercial, I think is a great idea. So they're like, things are only going towards online video and they're going away from where it just came from. Absolutely. Well, Sean, thank you so much for, for joining me. And uh, Sean, also what are your social media, your social media handles at Sean Cannell at every, at everywhere, right? 
Yes, S E A N uh, Cannell. Hard to spell. Not not advantageous for finding on social, but it's C A N N two N's E L L two L's at the end. Sean Cannell. And uh, yeah, if people have any questions, I'm active on especially Twitter, the other social platforms. And then, yeah, on YouTube, it's definitely a rabbit hole. You know, video influencers and think media is kind of like a free college course. It like, really, it online. really is. There is that free education that we've yeah. produced. Um, you know, there's probably a good 50 videos people could watch. And if you took a Saturday or a weekend or here and there with a journal, just watching a lot of that free content would be a great first step of getting immersed in this space and learning the best practices for success with YouTube and online video. Yeah, I've sent your videos to countless people who are asking me about YouTube and it's extremely helpful. And I, for the record, I'm very skeptical about buying stuff online. I almost never, especially not things like courses. Um, but my, you know, when I first, you know, started watching your stuff, I sent you some messages and you actually responded back. So that made me feel a lot more comfortable with, you know, I'm like, hey, he seems like a really good guy, a lot of integrity. So I went ahead and, and bought your class and I've been a very satisfied customer. So uh, if you're thinking about buying Sean's class, Video Ranking Academy, uh, definitely, definitely go ahead and do it. It's, it's totally worth the investment. And I've been, I've had a lot of great results since following the things that Sean teaches. So if you're looking for someone to follow online who can teach you about online video, Sean's the guy. I love that. I'm glad it's been helpful and I've been impressed. I mean, you're, the cool thing is I could tell that not only are you a learner and all this information, but you're executing, right? And you've probably realized that because you're doing the work, you're putting it out there while you're also learning the tips, that's where the results are. And I'm super impressed by everything that you're doing, Jennifer. And thank you for the kind words. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this has been another edition of XTV Producer. Come back for more. There'll be more videos like this. Thanks for listening to this episode of XTV Producer. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified about every new episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, definitely leave us a review and let us know what you think.